So here's a challenge. How many of you remember what I talked about last time I talked? Faith. Well done, Joyce. Anything more specific than that? Lots of faith. There you go, Roger. Dennis is... Have you not got it in your notes, Dennis? I'm, I'm disappointed that you haven't give, got it all there. <laughs> so last time, if you remember, Cheryl had this word that she believed was from God that we needed to uh, go back and teach about faith. And uh, so I was talking, the first of those, I was talking about how Jesus, when he, when he was on earth, showed us what the Father was like. But more than that, he showed us that actually when you read the words in the Bible, you can read all sorts of things into them and out of them. And, you know, you can read them in all sorts of different ways. But Jesus actually showed us how we should interpret the words of the Bible and, and showed us the Father's heart that was coming through those words. And, and that's what I talked about. And, and so off we, off we went to, to Portugal. And, uh, but just before we went to Portugal, and before I told that, if you remember, the, we went and spoke and ministered at a conference in the Northwest. And... What was really challenging for me about that conference is the guy that was organizing the conference changed what he wanted me to talk about after I'd already got there, which is very challenging for a speaker because you've got your set of notes that you've, you, you, you're going to talk about. And he, he, he felt that he really wanted to uh, press in and really kickstart again the ministry of supernatural healing in, in, in that area. It's kind of a, a beacon church in the northwest of England. So, um, as, as you do as a speaker, you have a flap and then you decide that you'll, you'll, you'll trust God. And so, before we did the, the service on, um, can't, was it Sunday? Yeah, on the Saturday evening, before we did the meeting on the Saturday evening, Cheryl and uh, the others, they went off to the service and, and I stayed behind and missed worship. Because I just wanted to spend some time asking God what he wanted me to minister on and how he wanted to do it. And he, and he gave me a series of words of knowledge. Now, uh, one of those words of knowledge was about somebody who had really bad pain here in, in this kind of thigh and hip. And so this, I, I gave this word of knowledge and this guy came forward and he was a painter and decorator. So he, he goes up ladders all the time and paint ceilings and does all that sort of stuff. Anyway, for 12 years, he'd done that in constant pain because he has uh, had sciatica. And so he'd never had a day where he wasn't in pain. And so getting up ladders is a very difficult thing because he couldn't move his feet more than about that much before the pain kicked in. So he was, it was a real challenge. So he came forward for prayer on the back of that word of knowledge. And he was... I, I, I think it took about 30 seconds because he was a bit nervous. And obviously, if you, you pray for healing with somebody, you've, got to, um, you've actually got to test it out. <laughs> like, am I healed? And so he, we got him to start moving his leg and start lifting it. And he, 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 cut, he got it up. And then eventually he's like this and he's moving and there's no pain. And he gave his testimony in church on the Sunday morning. And he was just absolutely in tears. Like, this is, I, I, 12 years I've had this, and, and, and Jesus healed me last night. You know, Jesus is so cool. Because despite the fact I wasn't prepared, and I, I kind of wasn't expecting, you know, I hadn't psyched myself up for it, Jesus comes through. Jesus keeps his promises, and he does what he says he will. And so that, we, we were excited about that and we're excited about some of the other testimonies but we were talking to uh, the minister of that church a uh, week before last on, on a zoom call and it, it turns out that uh, this guy because you, you like to know that people are healed not just like something happened there and, it, and so weeks later he's still fully mobile still had no pain whatsoever uh, he's able to get up and down ladders really quickly now 
But more to the point, members of his family have come to Christ because of what they've seen, and they've given testimonies in the church as well. And, and so that really, really kind of challenged us, because we're going like... So we, we, while we were on sabbatical, we went to a conference as well. And the theme of this conference was expect faith, expect victory. And, and we went in, and I realized as soon as... You know, like they put opening videos up at conferences. They have these 45 seconds, lots of music, big pictures, all that sort of thing. I realized that... It's so easy for us to let our faith slip, isn't it? Like we think we, we're, we're in faith. We think we're, we're just going along as we always have. But in reality, we're expecting less and less of ourselves and less and less of God. And, and so we, 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 we think we believe things. And I, I realize I think I believe things. But in reality, it's not making a lot of difference in my life. Because... I, I, there's something missing. And, and that expectancy is gone. And, and I, it, it really kind of stirred me to go back and read some of the promises of God. And, and I'm thinking like, man, when was the last time I expected for a 30-fold, a 60-fold, or a 100-fold return? Like Jesus said I can. Not in the future life. He says in this life. So when am, I, when, when am I expecting that? So I'm now expecting for 100-fold return. I've designated something that I've done, and I'm expecting for 100-fold return on it, and I'll tell you when I get it. And, and so we need to raise our expectations. Now, that all ties in, really, with what Esther said uh, a couple of weeks ago. Or, uh, well, Esther's boy said to Paul, basically, which is, you've got to up your game. <laughs> and with faith life, we have to up our game. You know, otherwise we might as well call ourselves can't be bothered or unfaith life or we used to be faith life but now we're a bit tired. We, we need to up our game because what happens is over time life erodes our expectation. And you might feel like that this morning, you might feel like your expectations got eroded over time because there's stuff that's happened, stuff uh, that you wanted to see and it hasn't come to pass and so on. And, and it kind of disconnects you a bit from God. It disconnects you a bit from that excitement that we have for Jesus. And, and, and you might find yourself that, like that this morning. Now, this all came kind of together, strangely. The, the, you know, like God uses old things to, to challenge you. Um, how, many of you are, how many of you are on Facebook? We should find something interesting. How, how many of you have a Facebook account? Okay. Man, there's some people under the age of 35 who have Facebook accounts. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's just older people that have Facebook now. Because you have to be young and trendy enough, Instagram and TikTok. And, is there anything else yet now? Trend. Trend, whatever. All these sort of things. Thread, Twitter, all, the, all these sort of stuff. I haven't got any of them. I've just got Facebook. And, and I put this post on Facebook and... And this is what the post said. I wrote it down just so I remember exactly what it said. It said, there's always two voices competing for your attention. The voice of faith and the voice of defeat. Choose wisely how you listen. So I put that on, thinking, well, yeah. Now, somebody put a comment on that, and it was actually the first comment that came up on that post. Now, just think what I've just said. The comment that came up on that post was, remember, your old man is dead. And I'm thinking, that is absolutely nothing to do with that post, is it? But we've got in this kind of surreal world where um, there's like this churchy world that's going on where, where we sign up to stuff and agree with stuff and know stuff and trying to get other people to sign up for our stuff too. But there's very little change going on in our lives and very little change that the world sees outside of the church. And because we're all running agendas. And much of what we think we believe is actually just our position that we've taken in any debate. Now, this is really important. So you might think, well, where's he going with this? But we talk a lot about belief. And much of the things we talk about to each other as Christians is we've got our, our camp, 
and we debate what we believe with each of the other camps. And really, whilst it's important that we base our lives on the word, world, what we end up doing is we end up talking and thinking we believe when actually we don't. Or we believe, but what we believe is we've signed up to a set of things that we'll make a stand for and other Christians haven't quite got yet. And so we'll, we'll try and get those other Christians to understand. And the sad thing about that is that has nothing to do with reaching a hurting world outside. And, it, and it's, not, it's just not good for us. It's not healthy for us because it erodes our faith. Because it, it puts all sorts of questions in your mind. And those questions are always all about, do I believe that? Do I believe that? Well, actually, what I believe and what Jesus asks us to do is to know him. Not, not debate all these things and, and you know, run our agendas. He asks us to know him. And that's the really important thing. That's, that's the really important foundation of living and upping our game in faith, is to know him. And, and that's why you can go many, and, and some of you might find yourselves like this. Over, ta- over the years of me doing this, I, I've, I've been a Christian since I was 14, so I've, it's, you know, it's a few years ago. <laughs> and over the years of doing this, I've, I've realized that you can, you can go through times, and, and there can be long times where you can sit there, and, and maybe you're doing it now, if you are, don't feel guilty, but you kind of nod in affirmation, and, and you listen, and you say yes, and, and you might even say, amen, pastor, preach it. You can do that now, if you want, amen, pastor, preach it. <laughs> Yet our faith isn't impacting on the reality of our lives. It's kind of like there's this disjoin. Do, do, do any of you know what I'm talking about? There's this like disjoin where we've, we've signed up to a load of beliefs, but it's not really connected with how we're living our lives. Because we'd be an awful lot more excited about, say, giving, wouldn't we, if we were expecting a hundredfold return? We'd be really excited, like press down, running over, shaking together. We'd be a whole lot more excited about a lot of things if we were expecting that. But there's this disjoint that kind of roots. Now, here's the question that I'm kind of trying to lead you into. Is simply believing enough? Is simply believing enough? Because that's what's going on. We, we, we are signed up, each one of us, to a set of beliefs that we carry and we've accumulated over the years. And let's assume for the sake of this, those beliefs are right. I'm not talking about weird, dodgy stuff. Our beliefs are right. And, but the question is this. Is simply believing enough? Because we carry on like it is, don't we? In, in, in our, our churchy world that we need to, to break out of, we carry on as if it is, that we just simply believe. And so we can come to church on a Sunday and we can nod and agree and simply believe. We can go to life group and we can nod and agree and we can listen to the guy on the TV screen or in the notes and we can simply believe. And we've all got, if I asked you, because we're a certain type of church and we believe certain things, if I asked you, do you believe those things, you'd say yes. And you do. So the question isn't, what do you believe? The question is, is simply believing enough? Because a lot of people want to persuade us to their beliefs and their little corner, but what if it's not enough? Whatever you believe. You see, we already believe a lot of things. What we want is for that to produce in our lives. So, is simply believing enough? There's a a guy that um, I've listened to quite a a bit over the years. Uh, I used to really like his his dad when I was younger. His dad's called Charles Stanley, but the younger guy's called Andy Stanley. 
And he, he, he came out with a phrase that really uh, kind of connected to, to me. And he said, uh, if simply believing was enough, think how simple life would be. If simply believing was enough, think how simple life would be. So let me, let me tell you that. We all know the science between, behind health, don't, don't we? Like I'm doing my, for those who don't know, I'm doing a million step challenge. One million steps in 90 days. And I'm 25 days in and I'm 10,300 off as of last night. So I've got some walking to do this week. I blame Heather Rogers' wedding. You, you couldn't get much steps in at the wedding. Um, but we all know the science behind health, don't we? And if we eat right, and we eat that horrible green stuff called lettuce and broccoli and all those things that Cheryl puts on my plate and tells me they're healthy for me, and, and we exercise, what if we just had to believe that was right? You don't actually have to eat, eat the stuff. You just have to believe it's right, that exercise is good for you, eating's good for you, and we believe it. I 100% believe it. And, the, and the, what about believing financial principles? Well, we all know some good financial principles, don't we? Uh, you know, Charles Dickens knew these. Mr. Pickwick, stay out of debt. Don't spend more than you've got coming in. Uh, let me, what else have I got down here? Budget, save more, shop less. You know, that, that sort of thing. What if we just had to believe that? How much happier would we be if we didn't have to actually do it? We just believe it. And what about study? What about if, if you believe preparing and studying is the way to succeeding in life? What about if you just needed to believe that was true and didn't actually have to do the stuff? How much simpler life would be? Jesus knew that didn't work. Jesus knows that does not work. That's why he didn't just invite people to believe some stuff or to know some stuff or to remember some stories. He didn't even invite people to agree with him. Well, that was part of what he was doing. Jesus invited people to follow him. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus actually didn't invite people to believe him. He invited people to follow him. There was a lot of people who heard Jesus, agreed with him and believed him, but didn't follow him. They weren't disciples. They are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus has this thing, and it's follow me. And he's never changed that. That's because it's relational. It's interactive. He's after relationship with us, not just as knowing about him, but as having a relationship with him. Not just believing what he says is true, but having and knowing him. You know, you can hear a lot of things, even on secular TV, and it's true, and you can believe it, but you don't know anything about the person who's saying it. And then, you know, these things come out about this person. You go, man. And I used to follow them. I used to like them. People liked Jesus. They just didn't want to follow Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying this. As you follow me, you're going to do things different. As you follow me, you're going to do different things. As you follow me, you're going to respond in a different way. As you follow me, you're going to see the world in a different way. And as you follow me, you're going to react to things in a different way. Now, what's this? Unfortunately, in our, our world, in our desire to uh, help people, we've changed Jesus' message from follow me to believe this. And the two aren't the same. Follow me is not the same as believe me. And so when we change Jesus' message, it gets us in problems. You, you see, how many times have you been told by somebody when you're struggling with something, if only you believed this, if only you knew this that is in the Bible, if only you knew that that's in the Bible. And you go, I do know that's in the Bible. I believe that's true. 
but I'm still in a mess. Because we've changed follow me to believe me. And the two out, you see, you see, believe me is a whole lot easier than follow me. Believe me is a lot safer than follow me. By the way, anybody got, who's got a bad shoulder this morning? All right, stick your hands right up in the air. Father, I pray for your healing life to flow into these shoulders now. Father, you promise that you are a healer. You, Jesus, you paid for our healing. So I speak life and healing to each one of these shoulders in Jesus' name. Amen. Start moving them around. Keep them up and start moving them around. Keep them up. Keep, start moving them around. Okay? Okay, is that any different? What are you doing, William? What's, what's this bit? <laughs> All right, keep moving while I'm talking. Yeah, your pain's going to go. Flexibility is going to return. So if you've got lack of motion, it's going to come back. Okay, just keep moving. Believe me is a lot less demanding and a lot less disruptive than follow me. Because follow me means you have to do stuff. Jesus didn't really invite people to believe true things about them so they got to heaven. He invited us to live a life in the here and now that reflected a big, bold commitment to following him. The two are really different. And that's where we start to ground our trajectory that we were going to be going on over this, this summer of upping our game in faith. Because we've got to make this connection between believing something's true and doing things in the light of the fact it's true. Okay, believing, and, and it's absolutely crucial we do this, because believing alone creates a sort of faith. That's why we all can be quite comfortable with where we're at. Believing alone creates a sort of faith. It's, it's kind of internally uh, reinforcing. But it, it's a fragile and frail sort of faith. And, and, it, and it's a bit feeble and it tends to fall over when the real challenges of life come. But it also tends to fall over when we're feeling a bit down or things aren't going quite how we wanted them to. Because we we've got faith, but it's a real fragile sort of faith. And it's not working for us. Now, you might say, well, Mark, this all sounds a really bit pedantic. Because if you're kind of one of these people that, that, that likes these sort of philosophical arguments, you, you can turn this around and say, well, people who are experiencing this, that's because they haven't really got faith. It's not real faith. It's not real belief. You just have to believe and it would work for you. And, and people do run that argument. Now, somebody who really understood about this was a guy called James. James was Jesus' brother. And James didn't uh, really get Jesus when he was on earth. And at one point, he goes along with his mum, Mary, and they try to get Jesus to come home and, and stop embarrassing the family. Like, just come home with us. <laughs> be all right. you, you're going to get yourself killed this way. It would be much better if you come. Like, Mary was being a good mum, wasn't she? Just come home. Your brothers, your sisters, they want you to come home as well. Just take up the carpentry business. It's doing really well. Come on, Jesus. Come home. And so James was one of those. And... Um, after Jesus had died and been resurrected, James came to believe and eventually becomes the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, he, he, after a while, he goes and he becomes a missionary, an apostle, apostolic missionary. And one of the things that Cheryl and I did on our um, sabbatical is we followed in the footsteps of James. That's where, that's where we went. That's how we designed it. And we play, went to this place called Braga, 
Anybody heard of Braga in Portugal? Well, Eleanor has, yeah? Braga in Portugal. That's where Christianity starts in Portugal and Spain. This little place called Braga. And in Braga, they have this absolutely ancient cathedral. I, I have no idea how it's still standing, but it's really old. And, and you go in there, and, and when you go in, and you go through to uh, the back, they have this room, and they have this board. And on this board, they have everybody who's been a bishop in Braga, all their names. Now, what's amazing about this board is they've got this name on it, and I, I, I wrote it down. Uh, let me have a look. First Bishop of Braga, Peter of Rates. Rates was the town he came from. In AD 45. And you go like, how did he get to be a bishop in AD 45? Because they, they go right back on this list of names. Now, apparently what happened in AD 45 is Peter of Rates, who was a nice guy, really helpful, you know, very philanthropic, used to help the community. He died. And, and because it's a hot country, they bury you really quickly. So he's been buried two days. And James, the apostle, turns up, and they're telling him all about this amazing guy, and it's, it's just a shame he never got to meet him, and all that sort of stuff. And James says, dig him up. Dig him up. So they dig him up, and there it is, the dead body, and James raises him from the dead, and that's how Christianity started in Portugal and Spain. Simply believing that Jesus gives life isn't enough. You've got to do something, connect you with it. You've got to use it. Now, James writes these words. So you were wondering when the words were going to come in, weren't you? James writes these words. I, I'm going to read you them. Uh, Words that you do know, but perhaps you never thought about in this context. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? Now we often think of those verses in terms of salvation but it's a general principle about faith that he's talking about. And so read the, really carefully. Watch the words carefully. He does, now listen, Sometimes it's really interesting to ask what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you've no faith, it's dead. He says faith by itself isn't all that's needed. He says, basically what he said is, you've got faith, but it's not working. You've got belief, but it's not working, because simply believing isn't enough. Because if simply believing was enough, think how simple life would be. Simply believing isn't enough. And, and so, if you've got faith in your mind or in your head, and it doesn't show up in the real world, it's dead. And I'm thinking, I wonder when he wrote these words, if he had in mind raising that guy from the dead in Portugal. Because without the life in the body, the body is still there, but it's not any good. It's, a, it's useless. There's no life inhabiting the body. And he's saying, faith is like that. You can believe something, but unless you actually act and live your life based on it, it's useless. It's like a dead body lying there. There's no life in it. It's not going to work. Now, that first, the first time he says it, in the, in the first line, he says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, that word dead is a translation of a word, and for those who like to make notes, Dennis, the word is necros. And it means not able to perform the functions it's meant to. We would abbreviate that to totally useless. Faith by itself, believing by itself is totally useless. It's what it's saying. 
Faith by itself or being alone or faith on its own doesn't do what it's meant to do. There's something that has to go with it. And that's acting on the basis of that faith. When you get down to verse 20, it says, Foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Now, because I like to do these things because I'm a sad pastor, what I found out looking at this in the Greek is that the word dead there is a different word. It's not nekos. It's agos. And it, and it's, and it basically means, so he's saying work, faith without works, now listen to this, is lazy to do that which it ought to do. Faith without works is lazy to do that which it ought to do and is therefore unprofitable. Isn't that scary? And then right at the end, what does it say? It says, faith was working together with his works and by faith was made perfect. That word perfect in, in the original language means this. It functions or operates to reach the end for which it was designed. So faith needs to reach an end for which it was designed. And the connector to that is works commensurate with what you say you believe. And, and this is really important because it might explain why some people, and, and maybe you felt like this at times, it might explain why you, you kind of go through these phases where you struggle, you feel all dried up. Uh, maybe some of you kind of feel like you're losing your faith or you've, you feel like you've lost your faith at points. And, and the reason for that is faith, according to what James is saying there, works like a muscle. And you have to exercise a muscle for it to keep working properly and keep exercising so it gets stronger. So faith on exercise becomes weak and fragile and, and, and floppy and all those sort of things, which I won't draw a parallel to, but that's why I'm doing my million step thing. When we don't exercise faith in the real world with our time, with people, our money, our energy, our commitment, faith begins to waste and wither away, just like our bodies do. So if you learnt or you've been taught or you've kind of got the idea that it's just about believing the right stuff, but you were never responded to this challenge to live out your faith and act in faith commensurate with that, act, you know, do things commensurate with that faith, you'll end up with a weak and fragile faith. That's what James is saying. It won't be made perfect. It won't achieve the end to which it is. And actually, uh, you know, James has been pretty blunt, I think. He says, basically, you, you, you're lazy to do that which you were meant to do. The question then becomes not is simply believing enough. The question is, what to do with what you believe. Because real faith is packed, to this, is practical faith. It gets applied. So we need to apply faith in every area of our life. We need to apply faith to our marriages. We need to apply faith to our relationships. We need to apply faith to our interactions, our decisions. How good are we at that? Apply faith to where we put our time. Apply faith to where to our problems. Apply faith to what we use our energy for. Apply faith to reaching others. Apply faith to where our priorities are based on what Jesus tells us to do. And the reason that works, because Jesus knows this, and this is why he tells people this, and J James got to know this, and this is why he tells people it. The reason this works is that when we live like that, our faith expressing itself in commensurate works meets the faithfulness of God as he answers 
and keeps his promises. So our faith grows as a result because we encounter God. Our faith gets bigger and stronger. Now, that's what James had to say about it. Jesus had some really powerful things to say about faith as well. And you, you might not immediately connect it because, you know, there's more obvious go-to verses that you would go to for faith. But Jesus had this kind of go-to teaching. So if Jesus, Jesus is your guest speaker, okay, so we've got a Jesus coming in here, August. What's he going to talk about? Well, Jesus almost always talked about the same sort of thing. They're called the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. Because he said them lots of times. That's what people were hearing. That's how they remembered them so well. Because they're hearing these same things over and again. And, and the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' go-to teaching. And so, you know, he, he opens it by, you know, those amazing things that you hear. And we call the Beatitudes. But he's saying this. Uh, let me pick one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they will be filled. So you're empty if you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Faith, it's not enough to believe that's true. You actually have to live it. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, they obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, so they will be called sons of God. If you're not a peacemaker, you're not a son of God. And in this kind of world we live in where world standards are trying to impose themselves on the church, we need to push back and impose church standards on ourselves. So the world uses all sorts of things to try and pressure the church. And, and we get people like raising all sorts of stuff and criticizing and, and all these sort of things. All of that would be avoided, or most of that would be avoided, if we actually did what Jesus said. How many of us believe, said, in Matthew 18, when Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, this is what you do. You go to him. You talk it out. You, you, you discuss it. You, you forgive one another. And if that doesn't work, you get somebody else to join you and kind of arbitrate between you. And if that doesn't work, then you get the elders of the church to come and decide. Have you ever, ever, ever seen anybody do that? But we all believe it's true. But no, we rather do it the world's way, which is backstab, snipe, complain, and leave the church and say, God told me to. Because we don't follow what Jesus says. Simply believing is not enough. We have to live it. Like, how can we just keep reading that and not do it? So Jesus goes to this Sermon on the Mount, and, and basically, people did not, they, they liked Jesus, but they didn't like Sermon on the Mount. Because Sermon on the Mount wasn't about believing stuff. Sermon on the Mount was about following Jesus. And Jesus said some really awkward things. And this is why they all like walk away when Jesus, it all turns bad for Jesus. And they're not there at the cross. Why? Because they developed a fragile faith where they believed what Jesus said, but weren't prepared to follow him on the basis of what he said. Because the Sermon on the Mount says things like, leverage your gifts and talents for the benefits of others before yourself. Before yourself. It says, use resources to help and bless others. Turn the other cheek. That's a good one. If someone asks for a favour, do more than they ask. We end up debating, well, should I do them a favour or not? Jesus says, do more than they ask. Generosity. We never notice gen Jesus never puts a limit on generosity. It just doesn't. Forgive. Regardless. And pray for the person who's your enemy, regardless. If you're not right with your brother or sister, don't think God is okay with your church face. 
These are the sort of things Jesus said. So simply believing all that to be true isn't enough. We actually have to do. We actually have to follow Jesus. Because simply believing it doesn't get us to the cross. And it doesn't get us the other side of the cross. And it doesn't get us to, to the power of God being demonstrated in our life. So we can sit week after week and, 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 and live week after week thinking we believe all this stuff and we know all this stuff and it's not making an apathetic difference because we're not living it. So is this too strong? I have been, I have been away, you know, I've, I've got it all to come out, you see. Right at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I'm kind of going to finish with this, but I can't tell you how long it's going to be. That one was just for Roger. <laughs> at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' go-to message, he gives us a promise. Who, who likes promises? Yeah? We want promises, yeah? Right, here, here's the promise. I'll, I'll go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. By the way, note to self. When you print off the Bible verses, don't do them in small type. That's why I'm squinting. <laughs> and I'm going to squint again. Therefore, this is Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine... By the way, you've heard this story since you were kids. You believe this story to be true. If I just read this story to you in isolation, you'd go, yeah, that's right. I believe that. Okay. Whoever hears... These sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. So who, who wants to be wise? What do you need to do? Hear and do. That's a wise man. Because hearing and believing is not enough. You didn't get saved by hearing and believing. You got saved by hearing, believing, and responding and making Jesus Lord of your life. You did something with what you believed. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Who wants up to be that person? Whatever storm is coming... Mortgage storm, credit crisis, next pandemic, whatever's coming, you want to be that person, don't you? You're not going to fall when the storm breaks and the wind beats. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, uh-oh, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And just in case you weren't listening, and great was that fall. So that's Jesus. Let's just unpick that a little bit. Everyone who hears, not everyone who is convicted, not everyone who's listening, not everyone who remembers this story. Not everyone who thinks this is correct. But everyone who hears and puts it into practice. Acts on what I taught. That is the wise man. A wise man, according to Jesus, or a wise woman, is someone... Not necessarily who knows a lot of stuff. It's not somebody who's a professor at Cambridge, who's hyper-intellectual. You don't have to be mega clever. That's not wisdom. Might, the world might call it wisdom. It's also not something that only like dwells in like Anne and Ray and Dennis and June and, and older members. You don't have to be old to have wisdom. Although it helps, because sometimes we learn wisdom, we learn we need to act on what Jesus said through our own stupidity of not acting on what Jesus said when we were younger. But the wisdom comes from Jesus. And, and, and so it's not intelligence. It's somebody, now listen to this, what, who is a wise person? I'll give you a definition. A wise person is someone who has joined the dots between 
outcomes and their behavior. Because sometimes we want the outcome, but we don't behave in the way Jesus told us to. Here's the point. Knowing but not doing doesn't make any difference. I missed this from the slide before the, those verses, Joe. But faith that doesn't do any good isn't any good. Faith that doesn't do any good isn't any good. Faith was never meant to be just a self, uh, personal thing. It was meant to be an expression of Jesus living in us. Why don't we build on the rock? Well, partly we don't build on rocks very much these days. Because we, we've got different methods. But um, out the, the, the house opposite where Anne and Ray live, they've had an extension uh, built at the moment. And they kind of dug down a couple of feet, and the building inspector comes, and he says, it's not deep enough, you haven't, you haven't ground it on anything solid. They, in fact, they've had to go down. How, how, how far have they gone? Eight feet they've had to dig down to put this stuff on something solid. And it took ages. And, and that's why we don't always build on the rock. That's why we don't build like that in our life, because it's labor-intensive, it's time-consuming, it requires perseverance, and it costs us. But think how much better you would be if you'd started this 20 years ago and built all that time. Instead of just thinking, oh, I need to start now. We all need to start right now. Not just saying, I believe this stuff, but actually I'm going to live my life based on this stuff. And meanwhile, you've got somebody else, and they're just digging in sand. And they're digging sand, and they put a few little poles down, and they put a, a strut across, and they build this house up. We, we looked at having, uh, we've got this old, if you've been to our house, we've got this old black barn that's been there ever since, I don't know how long it's been. But it's kind of like, what do we, we've, I think we've been in this house like 16 years and we're still going like, what do we do with it? Because to take it down, you can't just build a new one in its place. You have to actually take everything out and put some proper foundation in. So we looked at getting one of these, uh, what do they call them, timber garden thingies. And, and you, they put those on, on like struts that you put into the ground. The problem is they fall down after 20 years. They don't last. And, and they're not resilient. And, and so when the rain comes and the floods come and the wind blows, they get problems and bits drop off them because they're not solid, they, they move. So, but the exciting thing is you can have one of those in a couple of weeks. And we get really excited about the stuff. People who've got stuff in a couple of weeks and they're so gifted, they're so amazing, they're so wonderful. And, but then we see them fall over 10 years later. Jesus knew that. Jesus is saying the wisest thing you can do with your life is build it on what he teaches. Not just believe what he said is true, but live in as he instructs us to do. And it will cost you, but it will reward you in the long run. That's what Jesus offers us. That's his promise. At the end of all that teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying this is, this is, this is how you build for the long run. This is how you build. This will get you to the cross and beyond without walking away because something happened that challenges you or people pressured you. Somebody we, we know a little bit has an amazing ministry called Heidi Baker. 
And she says this, she says, love like, looks like something. But she also says this, faith looks like something. You can't say you've got faith, you can't say you've got love if nobody sees it. And it's not in action. Because it might be love inside and it might be faith inside. But faith that doesn't do any good isn't any good. So faith, our faith, our believing isn't enough. Our believing has to look like something in our life. I'll be back next week. Here's what I want you to do. You can stand if you need a bit of flapping about. By the way, how are the shoulders? Dave? Good? Right, okay, that's good. Well, are you still doing the, the, the weird thing? How's that doing? Better? That's good, that's good. We have to do some, we have to start stepping out. We have to start going for stuff. We have to up our game, don't we? And the only way we can do that is actually base our life on what Jesus taught, not what just we, we, we've signed up to a set of beliefs. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray for you. And then I just want you to take one minute to think. And then I just want you to tell the person next to you. So here's, here's where you're going to go. This is the bit you don't like, isn't it? Here's what I want you to do. Yeah, God, you do the short story. It's got shovels. She'll have like a whole list because she's heard me talking about this. Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you are so good. You're so good. You explain to us how life works. And we, sometimes we're just so stupid and we try and do it differently. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking us beyond the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowering us and living in us. We ask you now to bring our faith to life. Just like James raised that guy in Portugal. We ask that you will resurrect us. This, this, and, and so we become those who expect faith and we expect victory. And we thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Here's what I want you to do. Really simple. Just before you go and get your coffee. Here's, what, here's something I've noticed. Between here and there, most of my sermon disappears out of people's heads. I don't know how that happens. But, it does. but I want you to determine what was the most important thing God said to you in that talk. And then I want you to tell the person next to you. I'll tell somebody else. Okay? Go. We're finished for this morning.